So this is the last episode of the Canby Bible College Curiosity Project, and a good buddy of mine, Pastor Mark Smith, said, hey James, uh, let's interview you. That's Mark's thumb. Yes. Uh, so that's what we're doing. Uh, so, Mark, good afternoon. James. Yeah. How old are you? 35. 35 years old. So why don't you give us just a small bit of your narrative of how you, Ooh, yeah. how you became 14 years ago, you came into this. Yep. What was uh, wide-eyed, optimistic James sure. thinking about? What give us a landscape, or um, in your favorite kind of uh, verbiage, uh, give us give us a bit of a context ah, of sure how you got here. What was uh, uh, I grew up in Homer, Alaska. I was born and raised. My parents oh. were uh, missionary Bible school teachers at a school not unlike Canby Bible College. And so I always had Jesus in my veins from a very early age. Uh, high school wasn't, uh, it, w it was a time where I was just, mm, wasn't flourishing spiritually. Hmm. I spent more of my time snowboarding and skipping class than I did attending church. Hmm. It was college. I ended up in Ashland, Oregon, oh. not a place renowned for its godliness. <laughs> Um, but it was there that I fell in with a group of people who genuinely loved the Bible. And mm -hmm. it was the first time in my life that I saw the Bible broken open and explained as though it was actually true and actually applicable for today. And it just flipped a switch in me and suddenly that was what I began to dedicate my world to. I was a theater major at the time. I was in mm -hmm. technical theater, like lights that you would hang mm -hmm. in theater. That's what, I was, that was what I was there for. But I had just spent probably six days a week just in Bible studies. And I became passionate about understanding scripture. And I ended up in Peru after a couple of years for four months. And that was a formative experience. I ended up in YWAM for a summer. That was a formative experience. I ended up dropping out of college to go to Peru for a year. That was 18 years ago. Um, and after that, ended up in Alaska. And it was there in Alaska again after a couple of years of college where a buddy of mine said, hey, you want to go to, uh, you want to, go to Bible school? And I was like... Sure, why not? Um, 21 years old, I have no girlfriend, no car, no computer, no phone, no clue. Mm. And um, I said, why not? I had nothing else going on. Mm. And he said, great, it's in Canby. I said, where's Canby? He said, it's outside of Portland. And so I went and I showed up thinking that I'd be here for a term, maybe a year at most. Um, and the Lord began to open doors of opportunity. It was probably six weeks after I showed up um, that the youth pastor here at the time said, hey, um, I think there's a spot for you on this team. Mm -hmm. why, don't you, why don't you come on board? I'm like, I don't know what that means. I've never worked for a church before. Uh, what it meant was is that I was the assistant to the assistant youth pastor. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was a lot of stacking chairs. It was a lot of events. It was a lot of volunteers. And it was just a progress of that over 14 years being in a place that really um, identifies and develops leaders that I was given opportunity after opportunity and rep after rep after rep mm. to preach and teach and disciple and care and communicate and lead and program and analyze and count and and all the things that are needed to, well, not all the, a lot of the things that are needed to be hopefully a healthy leader. Mm. and. And then that culminated about six years ago, I was invited to be the executive pastor, which is like the business operations guy. So all of finance and human resource and um, 
facilities and IT oversaw that, risk management and contract and insurance and all those different aspects, which I knew nothing about, so I went off and got an MBA to help me with that. And as soon as I finished my MBA, I got given the Bible college. Hmm. Um, and so that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years, trying to help grow an opportunity for students to be able to love and lead like Jesus. Hmm. Fascinating journey, uh, and in some ways, uh, a bit of a poster child for how you would hope that you're, you would train up young people in the local church. Mm -hmm. um, at the mm -hmm. time, did you see it like that, or were you uh, just taking the next steps of opportunities? I, I'm, yeah. where, I'm, where I'm heading with this question is the young people that may be uh, watching this um, Curiosity Project, who are grinding it out in uh, setting up uh, church, uh, chairs, taking down chairs. They are the assistant to the assistant. Uh, they are perhaps the unnoticed uh, person that is faithful, and they're just kind of feeling like they're from Homer, Alaska. Yeah. Where, like, along the way, what are you thinking in your mind where this is taking you. Sure. I remember very distinctly pacing the north side of the parking lot right out here after that job was being offered to me because I was working at Red Robin at the time. This was the scope of my thinking. Mm. I'm 21 years old. You were a Christian. I was at Red Robin. I was bussing tables at Red Robin for minimum wage plus tips, mm -hmm. which in my world was a ton of money. Mm. And suddenly I was gonna get this job and I was really torn, like Red Robin, bussing tables, or this. Mm. And I felt the Lord say, go do this. Hmm. And since then, it's been a process of head down, focus, and work. Hmm. There, was, uh, there was probably seven years. I didn't travel. I didn't get on stage. I didn't do anything except for try to be faithful with what I had in front of me. I had like Joseph and Daniel. And scripture both are described as the people who trusted them when they gave them a task they knew that it was going to be done. They didn't have to think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. I said, okay, that's my model. Mm -hmm. I want to be Joseph. I want to be Daniel. I want to be competent in what I'm going to do such that the person who's assigned that responsibility to me no longer has to worry about it. Mm -hmm. If James is going to do it, it's going to be done right. That, mm -hmm. was, that was a driving conviction of mine. And I was grateful to be in a place where there was increasing levels of responsibility. And early on, I was way out of my depth. I remember very distinctly wanting to quit ministry like the second summer I was in because I was told I should go uh, lead a fireworks booth, you know, one of these big fundraisers where you've got to mm -hmm. like staff this fireworks booth. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. But I sucked at um, actually what I, did, what I had was a fear of man issue. So mm -hmm. I couldn't ask other people to help me. And so I just decided that I was going to do everything myself. It's a mm -hmm. terrible leadership characteristic. And, um, and I finally met the thing in my life that was bigger than my capacity to do it all by myself. Mm. And it exhausted me and it, 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 um, it damaged my marriage mm. and it made me realize that I wasn't nearly as good of a leader as I thought I was. And mm. by the end of it, I was pretty ready to quit. Mm. And then I had a moment where I had to say, I've gone about this the wrong way. Mm. And this is God showing me that I need to get pushed beyond what I'm comfortable in order to grow. Mm. And that feeling of being uncertain and overwhelmed, I've actually learned now 
to try to pursue that because I know that's where the growth occurs. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward a couple of years, I get invited to be the executive pastor, large organization, 35 people on staff, roughly $2 million budget. I've never been responsible for anything nearly as big as that. And so what am I at? I'm at the bottom of a steep learning curve and I had to learn the tools and the processes and the habits to make sure that if it was in my area, it was going to be done well. James, I'm coming in at the tail end of, of knowing you. Sure. I've heard about you. Uh, I think, interestingly, that some of those uh, attributes that you set out to, to be the type of person that you set out to be, uh, such as, if you leave it to James, it's done. I would say that coming into Canby Foursquare, that's the reputation that you have as you're exiting, that you have a great reputation for uh, being faithful, for doing a job, not just a job done, but a job well done, that you have uh, grown in um, pastoral care for people and the presentation of the gospel that we'll circle back around to in a little bit, another rabbit hole. But you said something in there, your habits. Sure. You have created these habits in your life uh, to kind of push towards uh, where you're going next. What are, can you dial in a couple of your daily habits or your life habits that sure. might be beneficial to that young guy sure. who doesn't have a car, doesn't have a job, doesn't have a wife, and doesn't have a clue? <laughs> that was me. What, right. what are some of those habits that develop? Right. Oh man. So, um, I've taught seminars on like what we call the basics of professional effectiveness. And I always lead by saying the person that I was, was nothing like the person that I am today. Hmm. I slept on the floor for five years. I rode my bike from Alaska to Oregon. I had no sense of the passage of time. I could not be bothered. My life's motto is I've got nothing to do today, but smile. Hmm. And over time, the Lord worked in me to try to still maintain that somewhat, I, I, I don't like the word busy and I don't like the word anxious. So mm -hmm. I, don't, I, I never want to describe myself in those ways. But while keeping that non-anxious, non-busy ethos, driving underneath that high degrees of what I hope is productivity and effectiveness. The first thing that I would say is calendar management. Um, to have a system by which you track the tasks and the appointments and the places that you need to be effectively. And once you, <laughs> once you get past that, then you need to figure out there are certain things that will occur that need to get done each week. If they don't show up on your calendar, then they're not going to get done. So if you're serious about it, you'll schedule it. I always say, if you want to know something about a person, there's three documents that I need to see their calendar, their bank statement, and their internet search history. Hmm. Those three things give you a pretty thorough overview of somebody's priorities and values. And so if it's not showing up on your calendar, it's probably not a key value of you. So for me, my calendar is a key organizing principle in my life. Um, the other thing that I thought about, and this came from a Jim Collins book I read a while back, I think he called it smack, specific, measurable, and consistent. It's a recipe of things that 
makes an organization really, really good. He gave a bunch of examples, but for me, I look behind me, he's like, so when I stand up on that stage behind me to present the gospel, a conviction of mine was that the, the first time that I preached that message in front of an audience wouldn't be the first time I preached that message. Mm. Meaning that I was gonna manuscript the whole thing and then I was gonna come down here during the middle of the week and I'm gonna run through it in front of an empty room at least twice to be able to get those words on the paper, into my head, out of my voice, and then back into my head. It was that process of clarifying your thinking, of getting your, of, so, so for me as a, as, a, as a communicator, as a public speaker, I knew that I had to give the people who were coming the dignity of saying, I've worked through this. Mm -hmm. So that way when they saw me, I wasn't figuring it out on my own for the first mm -hmm. time along with them. Mm -hmm. And so that would be like one of those examples. That's not going to be for everybody. Not everybody gets that opportunity. But if you do have an opportunity to, to present, to think, to try to lead in some way, the more you can do to practice that, to hone that, mm -hmm. to get incrementally better, mm -hmm. to me that is, um, there's value in that. There's mm -hmm. great value um, in deciding that you're the kind of person that when you preach, you've preached through that sermon two, three, four times. Uh, before you ever preach it in front of somebody else. You just gave a great working definition for your professional career in the church and yeah. what you have strived to do. Uh, tell me how that looks to your to your eight-year-old or your four. How old are your boys? Your uh, I've got twins who are seven and my oldest is nine. Okay, seven, right. seven and nine-year-olds. What... How does this drive um, transfer from the professional to the personal? Sure. Into what, how are you raising up your boys? Hopefully by example. Okay. Um, as a teacher, I tend to over talk and over talking to children is never mm. helpful. So I wanna, ha I wanna give them opportunities to see me uh, loving and respecting their mother, my mm -hmm. wife. I want them to know um, that they are deeply loved. Mm -hmm. So I tell them that every day. Mm -hmm. I try to block out, kind of coming back to time, like I'm about to leave here, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna be there when my kids get home from school, because mm -hmm. that's a value for me. Um, and then from that time to about the time they go to bed, that's time where I get to say yes to them. Mm -hmm. Dad, can we play baseball? Dad, can we play chess? Dad, can we work through this homework together? My answer is yes, because I blocked off my other professional responsibilities so that my yes can be given to them and they know their value in my world. I want them to see me doing the right thing. Mm. So when they come down in the morning, I want them to see me reading scripture. Mm -hmm. uh, I want them to see me alongside my wife in the domestic responsibilities. So mm -hmm. cooking and the cleaning and the laundry and the cleaning up and leading that. Mm -hmm. um, my son mowed the lawn yesterday mm -hmm. without me asking him. Mm -hmm because I took some time to show him how he could do it. And then he did it, and mm. I am so proud mm. of those moments of modeling and then giving them the opportunities to be able to grow. Mm -hmm. um, I want them to have a positive relationship with church. Mm. It's odd, it's a pastoral liability in the profession. My kids see this space as where their dad works mm -hmm. and not their church mm -hmm. so much. Uh, and so that is, those sometimes can be challenges. 
but I want to speak well of the church. I want to speak well of my leadership, and I want to, um, I want to show them that a life following Christ is worth it. Mm. I listened recently to one of your curiosity projects, yeah. and you had mentioned a hero, a seasoned saint to many of us, yeah. uh, Eugene Peterson. Oh, sure. And we are familiar with the writings of Eugene Peterson and obviously uh, his uh, message yeah. Bible. And one of uh, the more familiar works, at least in the pastoral uh, world that we live in, is the at least what Eugene brought up, the, the idea of a, a long time in the same direction. A long obedience. Long obedience in the same direction. Same yeah. direction. And you had mentioned this and um, I, I grew up on that. Yeah. Uh, that was as if it came straight out of Proverbs in, in, yeah. in the family that I grew up on uh, with. And you are no longer pastoring a church. Sure. You are no longer a dean yeah. of a Bible college. And yet I know that that quote or that title of the book, wherever it came from, from Eugene Peterson, means a lot to you. How does this tie into a long obedience in the same oh, direction? Sure. As I've processed my own transition, it sounds very Christianese and cliche, but I genuinely believe that I'm not leaving ministry. Mm -hmm. I'm simply changing context. Um, I have a high view of work. Uh, and in fact, I have a great suspicion of people who who, who tend to view the pastoral profession as being somehow greater than or more holy than the rest mm -hmm. of the other work. And mm -hmm. I've preached on that and I've tried to be as clear as possible about the dignity and the value of all work done for the glory of God and the good of others with gratitude unto Jesus is worship. And that are all of our lives. There's no sacred secular divide. Mm. And so being a pastor has uh, the baggage of being a sacred job. And so somehow the work that I do, that's ministry, that's serving the Lord, that's the high calling. And I, um, I bristle against that a little bit. And mm -hmm. I feel as though, uh, one, because it devalues 99.5% of the population who aren't pastors. Mm -hmm. um, and tries to suggest that the only way that you can also be in ministry is if you, again, then you know, serve on the weekend or if you give generously or something like that. I said, no, the, the work that we do ourselves, the way that we show up every day inside of our vocational spaces, be it inside the marketplace or in the home, wherever we go, when we're there as a representative of the kingdom of God, we are bringing a ministry and it's that function of an act of worship. And so... Uh, one of my burning passions is to spread the message that management is holy work. Mm -hmm. That the way that leaders inside of a workspace and the environments that are created by their systems and their behavior and their habits creates, create an opportunity to be a force multiplier for good. Meaning that when someone has a good day at work, it goes a really long way to having a good day. Mm -hmm. uh, and good. in my pastoral world, I see the trickle-down effect when people are in soul-sucking and destroying jobs that aren't enlivening to them, it's very difficult to then have a vibrant, growing spiritual life or vibrant and growing home life because the eight or 10 or 12 hours a day that you're at your best, you're in a place that puts you in your worst. Mm. And so if we can move the needle at all on helping managerial behavior 
be more effective, more life-giving, more human, to me, that's an exercise in pastoral care and ministry that I'm really curious about. And it's part of what's driving me into the next season of doing business consulting and, and going down into the marketplace. So my vision of the kingdom of God, I hope, is appropriately grounded in Christ's calling to be a distinct people, a city set on a hill, the salt and light of the earth. Um, you know, the fascinating thing about that salt metaphor, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, you know, if you ever take a, a roast, you know, like you're going to barbecue short ribs or something like that, and you try to put that rub, if you just dump all of the salt or the seasoning in one spot, right, if you mm -hmm. condense it and you constrain it to this one local area, you, you can't say that you've seasoned the meat. Mm. You've just oversaturated. In fact, you've kind of spoiled one part of it because now it's too strong. Mm. And so one of my, maybe one of my fears over time is that it's commonly known that Christians tend to lose non-Christian friends the longer they're a Christian. Mm. And my world as a pastor puts me in contact mostly with other Christians. And I want to make sure that I'm intentional to create spaces in my world where I can engage with others in such a way that they see reflected in me something like the love and the grace and the gratitude and frankly the effectiveness and the excellence that I think Jesus modeled. Hmm. So. You are leaving for all intents and purposes the, the church ministry uh, as a profession and going into the professional world. Yet, James Walton has an incredible pastoral gift, a love for people. I see that you genuinely love Jesus, yeah. the gospel, and presenting that uh, to people. Um, and you're an excellent presenter. Do you see yourself coming back? Could you see yourself? Oh, um, yeah, that, that's a dream. Um, I mean, if you want to get tactical, my, I mean, my 25-year plan is to be successful enough in the business space that I could then generously serve inside the ministry space without the prospects of having to think about money. Yeah. Um, to be the kind of, many people have been this for me, the generous benefactor. Mm-hmm. The, the door opener, mm -hmm. the gatekeeper. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been the recipient of so much grace, uh, so many opportunities. Um, I still love the church deeply. Mm -hmm. uh, she's flawed, of course. She always has been. Until Jesus returns, she always will be. Mm -hmm. um, and I recognize that things that I've done also flawed. Mm -hmm. I've got so much to grow as a leader, and mm -hmm. I'm grateful to be in a place where I've been able to fail visibly, frequently, and so I'm not unaware of my faults. Mm. Um, I'm grateful. Thank you for that, for those kind words. Um, I, I hope um, that in, what's, in some expression, um, to be in a place where I can serve and give and communicate generously. Let's uh, talk about a couple practicals as you are leaving this space of Canby, uh, Canby Bible College and Canby yeah. Foursquare. Uh, you're not leaving the town of Canby. No, love it here. Okay. And you are taking some time to not go to a church. 
or maybe even I think the there's luxury a, there's of... a there's a brief detox season right I know the first Sunday I don't have to be at church we're having a brunch with some friends just to kind of mm-hmm. enjoy uh, I say detox kindly it's not I have a I still have a very healthy and positive relationship with church mm-hmm. um, but when you've been functioning behind the scenes for so many years mm-hmm. I remember being like this in theater it's very difficult for me to go and enjoy a theater performance because I'm so conscious of what's happening in the wings and what's gone into making that happen um, that my attention is elsewhere. Mm. And so after 14 years of being in pastoral ministry, being the person up front or being the person in the back, making the thing up front happen, um, just learning how to sit here in a chair Mm. and receive, like I'm not practiced. I don't even know if I know how to attend church. Mm. And so I'm gonna try to relearn that art Mm. Of, of doing that. Okay. And so what you're saying is that you're not going to go to church for a while. You're not going to be a pastor uh, with the title anymore. And you're selling most of your books to me, but you're still saved. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yes. You're, you're not no. throwing in the towel on your face. Oh, no, 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 no. Not okay. at all. No, there's no, I still, I think I, I love, I love Jesus a great deal. And I'm curious, Mm. excited to learn about what it means to love Jesus outside of the trappings of being in a pastoral role. Yeah. I ask you that question just to clarify for uh, the conspiracy theorists that are (laughs) out there. I'm not deconstructing my faith. I I still am a very grateful and needy person. For the grace and the love of Christ. Yeah. yeah. What is going to happen for those that do follow and subscribe to the Curiosity Project and that have over the course of uh, a couple years here? Sure. Uh, what will happen to the Curiosity Project? Uh, it will probably shudder. Um, this will be a, a, a neat finale of an episode. Mm-hmm. Things begin and things end. Mm-hmm. That is not unexpected. Um, I will probably continue um, under a different umbrella uh, to produce content that's similar to what we're doing here um, as I shift focus to try to um, help um, managerial behavior and leadership structure. Um, And so a lot of my thinking and curiosity bends that direction. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't exactly know what that will look like or when or where that will appear. Um, but we, this will be episode 18, mm. I think. Um, so that's probably 15 some odd hours mm-hmm. of content that we've developed here, which is something. It's more than nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm grateful for it to be just commemorated. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful to the audience who has given their attention to show up and to listen and to comment and to share and to um, encourage me in this little endeavor. It's been a, it's been a great joy. It's as a as a kind of pet project, I've been tremendously rewarded personally in the process of being able to sit down and draw people out and hear from their experiences. And believe me, I, I'm not playing the straight man. I genuinely want to know the answers to the questions I'm asking. I mm-hmm. find people to be endlessly fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that I've learned a great deal in this process. Um, and I hope it continues to translate towards success in the future. What is James Walton curious about these days? I'm curious about how um, to meaningfully connect with my boys. 
I'm curious about how to structure my life such that I do not um, accelerate my own demise. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, I think about habits as a function of a set of behaviors that consistently applied over time. Will they result in something greater and more effective and more productive, mm -hmm. or will they draw downwards towards um, towards less productivity, less curiosity, less awareness, less perspective? Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm still figuring that out, um, how I spend the, the moment by moment aspects of my day. Mm -hmm. On a real tactical level, um, I'm really curious about how to create a really strong consulting experience for the clients that I serve, mm -hmm. uh, how to deliver the right information in the right context to the right leaders at the right time to make the right decisions. Mm -hmm. um, curious about how to train a dog better, because <laughs> mine, still needs a little help as you transition from marriage or from from ministry into secular world of consulting and sure. out of the church life professionally you share a little bit about your narrative you've talked about your boys what have you learned about marriage one of the great joys that I've had in my tenure here is getting to do a premarital counseling encounter with probably 35 different couples um, and weddings for probably 20 of those. And so I think about and I try to reflect on the key principles that I would consider to be essential in helping a marriage thrive. Um, and the one that I keep coming back to is something that I borrowed from, I think, Timothy Keller in his book, Meaning of Marriage, he talks about the difference between a consumer relationship and a covenant relationship. Mm -hmm. And I tell this story about why I buy bananas from Fred Meyer for 59 cents a pound, because I, we eat a lot of bananas in my household, and 59 cents a pound is about what I want to spend on bananas. Mm -hmm. And so there's this meeting in the middle. Fred Meyer takes my 59 cents, and I take their pound of bananas, and both parties walk away happy. Mm -hmm. But what's going on underneath that is that if Fred Meyer were suddenly to start charging 89 cents a pound, I would start looking for bananas somewhere else because I don't feel like the benefits meet in the middle. It's not a 50-50 relationship, mm -hmm. okay? And a lot of marriages or a lot of relationships in general end up having that same kind of consumer undertone. We're in it because we want to be um, mutual. The, the amount that I'm giving out and the amount that I'm gaining, it makes sense, it meets, we match. Mm so we're compatible mm -hmm. um, and the challenge is is that inside of that space of a consumer relationship you never have the confidence to be anything other than your best self mm -hmm. and so we literally make up our faces to present a false version of ourselves to the other in hopes that they will find us uh, worthy of their attention and desire going forward and if there's anything that compromises that a long-term illness or a disability or the job change or anything mm. else, suddenly the nature of the relationship gets cast in a very different light. Mm. And so what I encourage my couples to think about is you can have a consumer relationship, but there will come a day when you will, you'll wake up and you'll wonder if this person, if, if anything changed, mm. would they still love me? And the antidote to that is what they call a covenant relationship, that instead of meeting at the middle 50-50, that you make a commitment ahead of time to give 100% trusting that the other person will do the same. Mm. 
Um, and it's the same way, it's, you know, it's the way that God patterns marriage after how Christ loved the church, mm -hmm. right? Giving himself up. There's great call, there's great sacrifice that's involved there. So I don't want to undermine both the great beauty and the great sacrifice that's involved mm -hmm. enshrined for two people to become one. Um, but in that, what you have is this firm conviction, this covenant, this language that says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. That's the, that's the language that God gave us in his covenant dealings with us. And when we stand together at the altar, as just officiated a wedding last weekend, you know, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded spouse, better or for worse, richer for poor, in sickness and in health, forsaking all others until death do you part? Like that's, that's, that's that language, it's mirroring that covenant language that God gives us. And it, that right there is the commitment to that covenant is the sustaining factor. Hmm. My marriage went through an incredibly difficult season of a combination of things, primarily because we gave birth to premature twins and the combination of incredibly stressful and expensive neonatal and birthing experience followed by years of sleep deprivation left my wife and I in survival mode. Hmm. And I would keep telling myself, I have a really strong marriage that's going through a really difficult year. Mm -hmm. And you can tell yourself that for one year. After about three years, you start to get really scared mm -hmm. that maybe I don't have a really strong marriage. Maybe this is the status quo. Maybe, maybe I'm in for a really, really terrible marriage experience. Mm -hmm. And at year four, it flipped for us. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I looked back and I said, thank God I didn't do anything stupid. Thank God we were just determined to make it work. Mm -hmm. And through that, of course, financially, a struggle. Mm -hmm. uh, it's... Um, not just um, the thing about money people struggle at every income class it's mm. not about the amount of money it's the fact that money represents value so how it's spent saved and invested those are all value decisions that are being made and if the if the spouses inside the relationship aren't aligned in their values it's going to become challenging for them to celebrate and appreciate how the money is being spent saved and invested mm. And so that has been a learning lesson for us. Mm -hmm. Grateful along the way. We, I hope, have been good stewards of what God has given us. Mm -hmm. uh, been very cautious with debt. Been very earnest to... Um, <laughs> I remember a while back, I was trying to pay for the last half of my MBA program. And to do so, I stopped saving for retirement to put that cash flow towards my tuition but I didn't want to not save for retirement. So I started driving for Uber and Lyft on the weekends to start making a couple hundred extra bucks a month that I could then put back into my 401k because I just felt like that was a conviction of mine. So it, it's not always easy. There are some extra sacrifices that are being made and it's you should be aware that certainly speaking, especially as the funding model of the church is entirely based upon the donations of the people who are there, um, you can do the math pretty quickly and realize um, that if you're going to be pastoring a church of 30, 40, 50, 75, most churches in America are under 75, um, you're probably, that's probably not going to be your only source of income. Mm. Uh, it just won't be, it just won't be enough. Mm. Um, and so that needs to be a conscious decision ahead of time. And alongside the pastoral sensibilities, I would strongly encourage young leaders to begin developing that second avenue. Mm. What is that other place? Um, yeah. I painted houses um, in college and I worked as a nighttime janitor at a YMCA um, and did wash dishes and bust tables and just did stuff that developed a set of work ethic and skills 
um, that became really useful as I came into ministry, still being able to have some things to be able to fall back on. So marriage and ministry can be a beautiful thing. It can also be a difficult thing. The expectation that your marriage is fine because you're a pastor is toxic and corrosive. And so I would encourage anybody to freely admit that their marriage is struggling, especially to the people who need to know that they're not perfect. Um, I'm a huge advocate and proponent of mental health. I see a therapist regularly. You're transitioning from from the church yeah. to a professional career yeah. that you don't have yet. Sure. You have this intermediate period yeah. where you're holding on for dear life. Sure. You're hoping yeah. that... Uh, that that lucrative career you had as a pastor, that that wasn't the most lucrative time of your life. Uh, tell me about the limb. Real helpful tactical thing that needs to be put to play. Um, anytime you do something like this, six months living expenses minimum, mm. gotta be in the bank. Okay. Um, if it wasn't for that, um, I'd be in a mess. Uh, But the entrepreneurial instinct is to say, I believe that there's an idea that given enough enough attention and time and effort could grow into flourishing opportunities that I don't quite see yet, but could be really, really possible. Mm. And so I am heading into this season, what I hope with appropriate amount of both humility and confidence. Humility in recognizing that I'm not the best thing that's ever been, and I still have a great deal to learn, and so I'm gonna set myself uh, to be the best possible version that I can be um, of a leader, of a father, of a businessman. Um, but also the confidence to say, I do bring something to the table, that my professional experience up to this point, the, um, all the hours spent after, you know, like it's amazing what happens when you don't watch TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and the amount that you can invest in your own self and your own career. Um, to be good so that when the time comes and the opportunity arises, you've already been prepared for that moment. Mm. There's content in your head. There's a, there's a template in your Excel sheets. There's something that will allow you to bring value to the situation that if you didn't do it, even when you didn't know how this might get expressed sometime in the future, um, it's a matter of sowing and reaping. So I'm trying to hold that tension carefully of confidence in what the Lord has given to me and my ability to add value in the places that I go with humility of recognizing that I'm not magic and that just because I think that I'm going to be good at something doesn't mean that I don't also have to hustle and grind along the way. Um, And so I've got to set really clear benchmarks to figure out whether or not this is actually something that's going to be viable or if I need to pivot and say, you know what, I need a job with benefits ASAP because I've got responsibilities to my family that are far higher and greater than my ambition to be an entrepreneur. Mm. And so as I've mapped those things out and created runways and dropped dead dates for if X, then Y Mm. in this process, that helps reduce the amount of anxiety because I know I'm giving myself an appropriate amount of lead time to make this work. And if I don't, I pull the parachute cord, hard right turn, and suddenly I'm doing something mm. else and trusting that Jesus is going to be me in that process. So I don't know what the future is going to hold, but I do know um, that um, I'm taking enough of a measured risk that I'm not going to jeopardize my wife and my children to the point where now we're wondering about some real existential things that we're going to have. Um, we're going to have the opportunity to see this through together. Mm. So I'm excited, uh, scared, 
but grateful. James, I would like to thank you for letting me have the opportunity of, of interviewing you. Uh, I, again, was hoping to have a longer career of working with you, and that got cut short, and that's okay. Uh, but we live in the same town, and our sons are friends. Uh, our wives like each other. So. We're also friends. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're, we're, uh, don't jump the gun. We're getting there. Uh, but I, I have nothing but a great deal of respect for you. Uh, I've been working with you in our overlap for about five weeks now, and I've learned from you. Uh, I see great insights from you. I see you as a man that has has character and. Um, charisma and uh, you you care deeply about people I just want to say as you are exiting and this you know this could be the last curiosity project uh, interview I just want to say thank you I thank you for what you're leaving behind uh, something that I've always told people since teaching through the book of books of Kings and Chronicles is an observation that I've made through those books is you're always remembered how you finish yeah. and that's sometimes unfair because you have people that have put in 40 50 years of great work and you're catching them at the end of the bell curve and they're just tired uh, and maybe they're not putting in as much effort or there's other uh, life circumstances but it's just one of those deals that we remember people on how they finish and I just want to thank you for being one of those uh, men that you could look at and go, he finished well, yeah. uh, he transitioned well, um, not in life, not yeah. uh, again in ministry per se, but uh, at your at your career here at Canby Foursquare. So I just want to say thank you, thank you for this opportunity, yeah. and uh, let's let's make that play date happen. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate this opportunity to be able to share. I'm very grateful for the work that the Lord has given me in this space, and I wish Camby Bible College and Camby Foursquare Church nothing but the best, and I know Jesus is real, and I know he's on the throne, and I know he loves us all. So, for the last time, love you guys, but Jesus loves you more. Have a great day. James Walton, that was a pleasure. That was a great, great deal of fun.